Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. So glad you stopped by. We hope that as you listen to today's sermon, the Holy Spirit through his word will refill you, recharge you, and equip you for the rest of your journey with him. Listen to today's sermon. We thank you, Father, that you are faithful to your word. This morning, as your children, we gather at your feet, at the feet of our Father, the one who loves us so much, he shed the blood of his, of his only begotten Son for us, so that we who are no people today can call you Father. We pray, Spirit of God, that you take over. You've, you're already here, and we pray that you take over this session too. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our souls. Speak to us in ways no man can. And meet, at, meet us at every point of need. Be glorified, O God, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Mori, Mori. Amen. This morning, I want to start with a, a National Geographic picture. It's a picture I want to paint for you. So... National Geographic loves working in Africa. And in fact, they love working around Kenya and Tanzania and certain parts of South Africa and Namibia because of the wildlife. And if you've watched any bit of Nagio, I'm sure you've seen pictures of deer being chased by lions and hyenas. And I want to... So there, there's a picture of a very typical Nagio picture that the, the psalmist, King David, he's not clearly identified as the person who wrote it, but if you look at the other psalms where he's identified and the style, it is quite obvious that it must be King David who wrote this psalm. In Psalm 42, he starts the picture and he says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. And you know, it's... I think it's a song that has been heavily misrepresented because of the way it is sung. You know, when you hear the song, As the deer panted for the water so much, so long that to thee. You hear that song, and then if there's a slideshow to it, you see beautiful deer, you know, hopping on some hill, prancing around, and it looks beautiful. But that's not a picture here. This picture is a dry season picture. See, a dry season. It's a dry season picture. It's a picture of when... So if you ever want to go on safari, the best time to go on safari is the dry season. And when it's the dry season, all the hyenas and the lions, basically if you're a big predator, all you have to do is hang around the watering holes. Hang around where there is water. It is too hard chasing a brown gazelle, a brown deer in an atmosphere where everything looks brown. They camouflage easily. But at some point, they'll get so thirsty that they have to choose between dying from thirst or coming to the watering hole to get water. And King David sings and says that, I've been through this season where if I stay where I'm going to die. I'm going to die from thirst. However, if I go to the waters, I may die from the journey. 
because there are hyenas and lions on the way. Amen. Basically, he was talking about depression. It is not a word you hear often in church. I used to go to a church my parents took me to where if you were sick, you were not supposed to say you were sick. So basically, if I get a phone call from my mother and she says I am well, I know she's sick. <laughs> because I have to live in denial of, of the afflictions of life. Some of you may know these churches, you know, and they call it uh, the faith talk. Or, you know, they have all these fancy jargons for it. But one of the things the Bible actually addresses in detail is depression and the different forms of it and the different layers of it. The Bible is very, very clear. In fact, to think about it, King David wrote this song, and he didn't just write it, but the commentary tells you that the sons of Korah, who were the choir masters, were authorized by the king to make a song, a sound out of the, out of the lyrics, so that the whole nation will sing about it. Amen. So this is not something that was written and hidden in obscurity, and then after he died, they dug through his, you know, his whatever and found it. And it was a secret diary. No. This is a song he wrote that the nation, the whole nation sang. And because today we don't talk about these things, we don't talk about the afflictions that the children of God, even though the Bible clearly says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, we avoid anything that appears to be affliction. In fact, the hymn, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit who led you to sing it as well, the hymn was written by a man who lost everything. And everything here means his family, his business, lost everything. And he stood at this space where there was nothing to hold on to. And he said, it is well with my soul. Quoting the woman who had lost her son. And the husband had asked her, where are you going? And she said, it is well. She was on her way to see the prophet to see if something can be done about her situation. Amen. So the psalmist begins and says, as the deer pants for... So I want you to see that image of survival. This critical situation the deer is in. It's not because the deer loves the water. It's not because the deer fancies going to the watering hole. But the deer needs to survive. It says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. How many of us have hearts that are breaking? And says, why am I discouraged? Verse 5 says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then he encourages himself, I'll put my hope in God. I'll praise him again, my Savior and my God. And he continues, says, now I am deeply discouraged. You can see the layers and layers of it. He says, now I am deeply discouraged, but I'll remember you. So you can see this conflict going on between him and his faith. Amen. He will look at his situation and everything weighs him down. And then says, yes, but I'll put my trust in God. He continues and says, but each day, each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs. You can only sing through the night if you can't sleep. He's been having sleepless nights. It's difficult to sleep. So instead of just lying there and not being able to sleep, he says, I will sing his songs. And then I'll use the time to pray to God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? So it wasn't only on the cross Jesus said that. You Ali, know, Ali, Lema, Sabachthani. We say that all the time during Christmas. Sorry, during Easter. But it says, 
Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Is anybody oppressed? They say, the tongues of my enemies break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? You claim you have a God, but nothing about you shows that you have a God. You are, you know, you are a loser wherever you turn. Nothing seems to be working for you. Where is this God of yours? And they taunt him. And he said that your taunts are so painful. It's like breaking my bones. Verse 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I'll praise him again. And then you get to Psalm 43 and the lamentation continues. He says, why must I wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Why am I discouraged? Verse 5 of 43. Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. Amen. And then, you know, this continues. And then in 44 verse 17, he says something that is interesting. Because sometimes when the Christian is struggling, we tend to think it is because of some secret sin. You know, something they have done outside the will of God. And then verse 17, he says, all this happened though we have not forgotten you. We have not violated your covenant. Our hearts have not deserted you. We have not strayed from your path. Yet you have crushed us. Yet you have crushed us in the jackal's desert home. You have covered us with darkness and death. If we have forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands in prayer to foreign gods, God will surely have known it. For he knows the secrets of every heart. But for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust, lying face down in the dead. Rise up. Help us. Ransom us because of your unfailing love. This is King David. It is always amazing when we talk about how he killed Goliath and how he was a little tiny shepherd boy and he was so full of faith. But that wasn't his every day. We see the prophet Elijah running away from Jezebel and telling stories that didn't make sense. He says, I'm the only one who has survived. And God says, no, you are not. There are 7,000 others who haven't bowed their feet to Baal. And says, God, I would that, that I die. I would rather die than live. And God says, no, I'm not done with you yet. In fact, because you so much want to die, I won't let you die. <laughs> I will rapture you before you die. The prophet Elijah was suicidal. Unfortunately, when, especially if you grew up charismatic like I did, somehow you are made to believe that if you ever have a moment of pain, of affliction, of difficulty, it is because you have no faith. I remember when I was in secondary school, I joined the school choir, which was a bad idea because I couldn't sing. And one of the songs we had to treat was, Where is our God in whom we trust? Where is our God? I'm like, This song has no faith, you know. Sing songs of victory. What is this song? What is this hymn? I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, so we see the psalmist ask a lot of questions. 
and we ask, okay, okay. It's good to know that psalmists also battle depression. It's good to know that I am not the only person who probably is suffering, but what is the way forward? And I want to take you to Luke chapter 4. The title of this session of the Bible is called Jesus is Rejected at Nazareth. It's not a very fancy title, is it? says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, I'm reading from verse 16, his boyhood home, this is where he grew up, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So basically he found Isaiah chapter 61. And he took the scroll, opened to Isaiah 61, and he read his political manifesto. If you ever wonder why God sent Jesus on earth, this was why. This was his manifesto. Ghana's president, Anna Ekufuadu, made a promise of free SHS in his manifesto. And when he came, at every cost, <laughs> he implemented it. Against, you know, advice that was very reasonable. He said, no, 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 I have to keep my promise. Our God is a better promise keeper. Amen. So Jesus takes the scroll and opens to Isaiah 61, and he, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. The blind will see that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. Depression is a form of captivity. Today, because of advances in science, we treat some with medication, some with therapy, you know, some with counseling. I know people who have taken yoga because it helps them relax. And, you know, some would walk on the beach and there are many, many recipes people pursue as part of the healing process. But we thank God for his word. Amen. And we thank God for Jesus because Jesus came and he said, this is my manifesto that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The poor here is not only those who are financially stranded. The Bible says blessed are the poor in spirit. Amen. Some are poor in peace. Some are poor in health. Some are poor in sound-mindedness. Some are poor in joy. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here he says, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Amen. Remember that the word gospel in old English was actually two words. Good spell. Before the gospel came, and if you've read a lot of these English folklore growing up, no. Some princess and some witch cast a spell on her. And always some, it's never a wizard casting a spell on somebody. It's always a witch casting a spell <laughs> on somebody. That's another conversation for another day. How we are prejudiced from childhood to see women as evil. You know, it's a different conversation for another time. But the gospel of Jesus comes and the people are like, this is good spell. Amen. Now we can hear something that sets us free. She says, send me to proclaim that captives will be released. Anybody who has battled depression, and I have, knows what it means to be held captive. 
You can't function. It is captivity. I don't know if there's another word that proper captures it. You can't you can't function. You know what to do in principle, but you can't do it. But there is good news. Amen. It says he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see. And sometimes there is also the blindness. Like when Elijah said, I am the only one. He wasn't. He couldn't see. He mentally was in a state where he couldn't see what was obvious. He wasn't the only one. He said the oppressed will be set free. Oppression is when somebody else sits on your happiness and your liberty and makes sure that you can become who God says you will become. Africa is an oppressed continent. That is another conversation for another day. So in, in, certain, in most parts of the world, they say you are poor because you are lazy. The only place where that doesn't really apply is in Africa. The farmer wakes up 2 a.m., <laughs> he's on his farm by 4 a.m., will work all day, and somebody tells him how much he will pay for his cocoa. That is what they call oppression. Everywhere, every shop you enter, the seller tells you how much their good is worth. The African farmer goes on the market and they say, your cocoa is worth this much. Your gold is worth this much. Your diamond is worth this much. We tell you how much to sell it for. It is oppression. But Jesus has a solution for that too. Amen. And he says, the time of the Lord's favor has come. How does this really work? How do I apply this to my life? Yes, I've read it. Jesus says, he has come to set captives free. And this is a form of captivity. This finding yourself in this mental space where you can't see the light, where you can't see where you are headed, where everything around you looks gloomy. I want to take you to John, the book of John, chapter 14. From verse 26, Jesus was, this was towards the end of Jesus' time on earth. He was about to leave. And remember when he was reading his manifesto, the first part of his manifesto said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this is the secret to victoriously overcoming depression God's way. I'm not saying this is the only way, but I'm saying that this is God's way. It is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. Amen. And he says that, but when the Father sends the advocate, advocate is a legal term, is a lawyer who speaks on your behalf. Amen. Sometimes we call him the intercessor says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Amen. In other words, there will be seasons where you don't know where to turn and where to go. But the Holy Spirit will draw your mind to the promises I have made you because I'm faithful to keep them. The promises of sound mind. He says, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but he has given unto me the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. There are many, many promises. And in verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift. When your packet comes with your name on it and I go and take it, I'll be called a thief. You know, so as much as I love you, I cannot claim your package for you. So see this package as the last package Jesus gave you before he left. The Holy Spirit was the gift the Father gave us after Jesus left. 
But Jesus, our Savior, this was the package he left us with, his parting gift. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and peace of heart. It's a double gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Amen. You can go and look for this gift anywhere. You won't find it there. It is a gift only Jesus can give. Amen. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I'll come back to you again. Amen. said, so because you have this gift, don't be afraid. Christians going through affliction is the very story of our faith. Emperor Nero will crucify Christians, will burn them at a stake. And he was expecting them to be howling and screaming, but they were singing. And they are singing pierced his ears so much he blocked his ears. They knew who they were. They knew where they were going. They knew that whatever affliction they were going through in this life was in no way comparable to what God had in store for them. This morning I want us to spend some time in prayer. If you're battling any form of depression, and as I've said openly, I have battled with this. And I know how the church in Ghana offers little to no support for people who battle with depression because I was there. And I'll call everybody around me and say, I need help. They're like, yeah, we'll pray for you. Uh, okay, to be well. Uh, okay. And I saw myself sinking. In fact, I could see myself going to sink. And then I got to the point where I was sinking. And I was screaming for help and nobody could help. But thank God that he sets free. Thank God that our Savior Jesus Christ and his manifesto said he sets free. And says, if you call upon his name, you'll be saved. I want us to spend some time in prayer. We have about six minutes before questions and answers. And I'm very serious about this. The God who sets free will set you free. For some, it's a recurring battle. But today you can win. Amen. I wish I could promise you that if we pray today, you may never have another attack. I wish I could promise you that, but I can't. What I can promise you is that the God who helps you is with you all the way to the very end. That is another promise. He says, I'm with you always to the very end. Amen. But today, today, we'll break every power of depression, of anxiety, of fear. It cripples. And you can't function. Let's pray. Maybe we should stand up. We should stand up and spend some time in prayer. This morning we commit ourselves to you. Oh, we yield to you, Holy Spirit. Be glorified, O God. If you're here and you want us to pray with you, I would, I would encourage you to step forward. Amen. So as a church family, we can pray for you.
Amen. If you feel that you are in a space where you, the prayer of the brethren will help, please don't hesitate. Amen. This is why we are here. This is why we are a community family. Amen. The good news is that our God truly hears and he truly answers prayer. Amen. anybody battling depression in, in, in any shape or form this is a good time to pray for them, lift them before God, amen our God truly sets free if, you, if more time I will share testimonies testimony upon testimony of his deliverance oh thank you Jesus Amen. Amen. So that's a great word, straight to the point. It's about the power of God. Um, today is the fourth Sunday of the month, and as it's been the practice here, we take questions. So um, because we are far behind time, I'll try to take three questions, not just related to the message, but anything about life, about God, about the Word of God. Yeah, I have a very interesting question. Um, when um, he was reading the scriptures, I think in the Psalm 44, verse 23, he said that, um, Awake, or wake up, O Lord, 
And I was just wondering, does God really sleep? So, I mean, that's just my question. I'm just Did you get the question? Any hand? Rach? Yeah, my question is borders on uh, salvation. Yeah, so the salvation we so cherished, is it one that we can lose? Or once we are saved, we are forever saved? One more. Okay, Nana. <laughs> so the first one is that uh, you have to understand that if you've been praying for a long time and God doesn't seem to be hearing, it won't be far off if you assume he's asleep. <laughs> you know? and, and that is the situation the psalmist uh, was in. You know? But when he became flesh, he was very man. You know? So we say that Christ Jesus our Lord was very man and very God. And in fact, there's a story of he sleeping in the sheep, in the, in the ship, not sheep, the guy in me, no sheep, the, the ship. <laughs> and then there was turbulence, and, and uh, the, the care is not now that we perish. The other question on salvation, uh, I think maybe I should ask you what you think. Uh, years ago, when I was a student uh, at Tematech, we had a debate at Tematech where Matthew went. And the question, that was the very question. Can the Christian lose their salvation? And we were late in getting there. And before we got there, the, basically the opposing panel had pretty much won, arguing that a Christian can lose their salvation. All I did was very simple. I walked up to the panel and I said, you, are you a Christian? He said, yes. Are you born again? Have you given your life to Jesus? Uh, would you go to hell? If you know, can you lose your salvation? Once you make it very personal, everybody said no. <laughs> so <laughs> I turned to the jury and said, you see, if you've truly given your life to, to Jesus and you are truly his child, he won't cast you out. You won't lose your salvation. You know? and, and, and that was it. I don't know if that debate worked for you. But you, Richard, do you think you go to hell if you committed some sin? Because, you see, we, we forget what salvation is. Salvation is adoption. And the principle of adoption is that if... I adopted a child, and the child became aqua. The child is a part of my family. It has nothing to do with whether they went to steal something or they went to commit murder. Once I have legally adopted them, they are my children. They are, they are my child. And everything any child of mine is entitled to, that child is entitled to. You know? And this is, this is the salvation package. That is why, I mean, the Apostle Paul and this is actually, on this story of depression, one of the biggest issues we tend to have is an identity crisis. Because we tend to let our experiences define us. You know? But if I took a $100 bill, and today I was hoping to be able to dramatize that. If I took a $100 bill and uh, you know, dropped it in mud, dropped it in the closet, made it, you know, basically abused it till it was totally dirty and smelly and all that, and I offered the money to you, will you take it? Why would you take it? No, speak to me. Would you take it? It's a very dirty, very smelly, very stinky, very filthy $100 bill. Will you take it? Yes. <laughs> but it's dirty. It's filthy. It's, it's, it stings. The value is the same. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. So even though our sins and struggles may make us filthy and stinky and not comely, the truth is that it is, those are not what determine our value or our status in Christ. Amen. 
So whatever a clean $100 bill can buy, a dirty $100 bill can buy. Amen. <laughs> so we shouldn't let those things distract us. Have you truly given your life to Jesus Christ? Has he become your Lord and personal Savior? You may struggle. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, Spurgeon, he was famous for his struggles with depression. In fact, he struggled so much, at some point he wrote and he said, I will not wish on a dog the things I have to go through. And there were moments when before he would stand up to preach, he would be crying on his wife's lap for hours, uncontrollable, just, uh, why are you crying? He doesn't know, he was just... He was just a mess. And then he would stand up to preach, and then the Holy Spirit will move mightily, and the sick will be healed. There will be deliverance. There will be this. Those are not the things. Those experiences are not what defines, uh, define us. It is who we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I said, I don't know where it is in Scripture, but I know I've read it before, and I've heard it preached upon before, that it's vanity to keep asking God for the same things when you go into prayer. My question is, how does that work? So when I take it into parenting where my child can say mommy I want mommy I want and keep asking me the same thing I'm like I heard you you got an answer or you or I'm working on it so stop asking me over and over again I didn't not hear you is that the same thing with God where we're just repeating the same thing but if it's what is on your heart especially when it says bring cast your burdens on me and I'm supposed to leave them at the altar so does that mean that I haven't left it if I keep asking about it or keep talking about it or I keep praying about the exact same issue it's a good question. I think that this leads to a whole conversation on prayer, on the ties of prayer. You know, so in the book of Daniel, after 21 days, an angel appears to Daniel, and he says, on the very first day you prayed, God heard you. And he answered. But there was uh, principalities, you know, there were these demonic powers that frustrated us in the heavenlies. That is why it took us 21 days to get to you. Sometimes there are impediments to answered prayer that are spiritual, you know, for example, in that story. Other times, God's very good answer is no, but we don't want to hear it. God, I want to marry Brother John. God, give me Brother John. It's like, uh-uh, Brother John, he'll frustrate you. Uh, it's like, God, I like his dark skin. Oh, God, when I see him. Oh, God, you know. So, <laughs> so, I think that is when the vanity bit comes in, you know. But because the Bible also actually encourages us to persevere in prayer, you know. So, but you notice that persevering in prayer is different from when this is what I want. God give it to me all. It's different. And that is when it is vain because that kind of prayer is about me and what I want. Not what God wants for my life. Not what God wants for another. See, so... The Bible encourages us to persevere in prayer, to pray without ceasing and all that. But most of the time, you notice that when you pray, are praying without ceasing, it's prayer that's not about you. It's hardly about us. You know? In fact, the whole intercessory ministry, 90-something percent of the time, you are praying for other people, other people's needs. You know? uh, I don't know if, if that is healthy. Okay, so another thing about prayer is that sometimes people actually use it as, a, as an excuse to not do anything, especially in a nation like ours. You know, I tell people that God doesn't answer prayer during working hours unless, unless it's, it's an emergency. Because he expects you to be working. Somebody is paying you for that time. If God engages you at the time when somebody else is paying you, it is robbery. He's, he's helping you commit a crime. 
you are robbing your employer of the time you agreed <laughs> that you should be you'll be working and so you should be paid for either uh, I hope I'm not sounding too controversial so when there's an emergency heaven will listen but otherwise work whilst you're working and pray whilst you're praying amen <laughs> that's okay thank you so much we hope this sermon blessed you if it did will you consider sharing it with a friend and if you're in Accra looking for a spirit-filled community to worship with, why don't you join us at Mikado Plaza, the Bonnie Junction, Accra, on Sundays from 9 to 10.30 a.m. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Accra Church and visit our website, accrachurch.org, for more sermons. God bless you.